Welcome back to Interconnected. Today, I'm super excited to talk about an interesting topic. I want to talk about the church, uh, specifically the Christian church and authenticity. Um, if you've been to church, uh, you might know that you know part of of uh, being a Christian, like is like doing the right things and saying the right things and wearing the right clothes. And uh, not all of it is is bad, but sometimes it can get in the way of of the true thing, uh, which I think is about faith. And without genuine authentic faith, I don't really think we're getting anywhere in the in the area of, of religion and church. So uh, I feel like authenticity and church, like it just they just have to go together. But sometimes it's just hard to reach that for different reasons. And so today I'm interviewing Eric Fan. Uh, he's come on to the show before. He's the founder CEO of SquareEdge. He's a career technical education guru. He helps young adults and kids get jobs. And he's got a really cool organization on that side. In addition to that, he is a religious writer. He has written a book about Christianity and in the church we call it the devotional book to kind of help guide Christians in growing in their spirituality. Eric, uh, if you listen to the first podcast, if you know Eric uh, at all, he's 100, you know, as the kids say, you know, keeping it real, right? <laughs> and so I just love that about Eric. And I talked about authenticity. If you want authenticity, you want Eric Fan. That's my real long intro. Um, I love this guy, Eric Fan. You are there. I hear you, right? What's going on, Ed, my brother? I love you right back at you, my man. Thanks for having me. Very happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited too. So let's like let's jump into this. Uh, so you have a book out. It's called WTF, Where is the Faith? And then I'm going to put a concept out there and I'm going to ask you a question, all right? Sure. Let's do it. Concept that you wrote. So yeah. it's, I didn't make this up. All okay. right. In the beginning, it just says intro HBO, not Disney. Okay. Yes. I, I really like that because I actually am familiar with both of those networks, right? <laughs> HBO and Disney. So for me, I think of this, right? You're talking about church, right? right. I'm talking about the Christian life, the church. Okay, right. Not just church, but just the Christian life, right? right? So Disney is like really curated, really like PG or G, right? Right. Where we're not being offensive. And then it's like really careful and wholesome. Now, right. HBO, it's like some of those shows make you feel a little uncomfortable sometimes. Sometimes I'm watching this show and I'm like, that's really real and like almost too real. Like I'm almost mm -hmm. uncomfortable watching this. Right. And you're saying that the Christian walk is actually more like that real and sometimes uncomfortable thing rather than that manicured Disney thing. Is that kind of what you're saying there? 100%. I think that is exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying the Christian life is rated R. The Christian life is like HBO. It's NC-17. Sometimes it gets director's cut version. Okay. And I don't believe the Christian life or church is how Disney paints it, which is really rosy, happily ever after. I think what it is, is HBO shows what happens after the ending of a Disney movie. For example, it'd be like, you know, Snow White ends up with the Huntsman. All right. Okay. Jump over to HBO. It shows them getting divorced now, you know? Yeah. And that's how real life is. And that's the Christian life too. So Eric, well, the, the question, I, you know, I wanted to ask you in thinking about this subject, the grittiness of the Christian life. Right. Is that, have you always had that perspective of like it, it's HBO? 
or was there a transition sometime where, where at some point you thought it was more like Disney? It should be more like Disney. Like, so at mm-hmm. church, you only use these certain words. Like maybe you're struggling with certain things, but you're never going to bring that up at church. Like people don't talk about that. Right. Um, or have you always been like, hey, guys, I'm Eric Fan. It's HBO. This is what it's like. <laughs> What's that process been like for you? It was definitely an evolution, Ed. Okay. It was it was not an overnight thing. It started out most of my, probably the first ten years of my Christian life. It was Disney. It was rated PG. It was you know everybody just hugs each other, loves each other. We talk about Jesus and we talk about our feelings and we you know finger paint together or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, through this gradual evolution of disappointment, frustration, Mm -hmm. plans not working out, being on the receiving end of other people's sins, betrayal, just nasty event after nasty event, it gradually led to that HBO side. I think if you go to like a theology school, they talk about this concept. It's called the dark night of the soul. Mm. I think it's kind of like that. And so I think it was a gradual evolution because it started out with expectations, right? You know, you go to church, I should feel happier after this sermon. I go to Bible study, I should feel happier after this Bible study. You know, we go to church retreat, we make some friends at church. We should feel a little bit happier, a little bit more joyful. And then 10 years in, it's like, how, why am I still not happy after the sermon? Why do I come out of the service more discouraged? Why did I have this Mm. fellowship and come away more discouraged than encouraged, et cetera, et cetera. And then I realized that I just wasn't reading my Bible more carefully enough because it was painted to me too flowery. And that wasn't how the Bible was. For example, it'd be like, um, give you a basic one-on-one example, Ed. Yeah. You know, we grew up in uh, what's called VBS, Vacation Bible. Yeah, yeah, VBS, man. It's like, hey, kids, look, Adam was created. And then uh, one day he got lonely and thirsty and God gave him Eve. That's how it was painted to us as kids. And that's not true. Adam had to name animals for about 100 years before he got Eve. Mm. Uh, He named animals on that continent. And it was probably a big continent, Ed. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it took Darwin. It took Darwin ten years to name every animal on the the Garoppolo. Okay? I never thought about that, but yeah. Probably. So, but we were taught as kids, Adam followed God. Got what he wanted. To add to that, right? So I could see church is this flowery thing, and then you go kind of look at the real world, and like you said, even looking at the Bible, it, it wasn't easy in the process right. of it. Right. And then also life is like that, right? where it's that and i think that's why we don't like when we actually experience life and you might be going through some stuff Mm -hmm. that is is not churchy Mm -hmm. and you can't bring hbo into disney like i don't think that works or does it i mean i I think we try like what's your comment thought on that bringing hbo bringing in that rawness and authenticity most times is not acceptable at church the only time i've seen it acceptable are probably at the more urban progressive churches you know the hillsongs of the world uh the mosaics of the world but outside of that non-traditional context, I don't think it's acceptable. And that's my that's where I think that's not healthy for people. Yeah. But an interesting thing I just want to throw in there, Ed, is if you notice in our society right now, mental health awareness is kind of like in vogue, right? Like, sure. Right? Everyone's talking about it now, depression, anxiety, mental health. And so transparency and authenticity is in vogue right now. It's in style. It's in fashion. So what I'm trying yeah. to say is, we as Christians are supposed to be salt and light to the world, right? Like be edifying to the world. But in this context of transparency, it was the world that influenced the church because mm-hmm. celebrities that started coming out saying, hey, I just want to say I had a miscarriage. 
and I struggled through depression. I was suicidal. It was and then another celebrity and another celebrity and another celebrity keep coming out with the same story of depression, anxiety. And that yeah. transparency is what led to our mental health awareness where now it's infiltrating into the church, which I think is a good thing. Right, right. But it was celebrities in Hollywood that influenced, encouraged transparency. It wasn't the church. That's the ironic thing. Yeah, it's like it should be other way around on the forefront. It should be the church saying, come as you are. It should be how like, you know, how Gaga said it. Jesus wants your ugly. He wants your disease. He wants your everything as long as it's free, right? Like Jesus wants you to come with all your nasty, but that's not typically church. It's like I said, it's a progressive urban church, but Hollywood is more like come as you are. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. And that's why it's HBO, man. Right. Right. (laughs) I I haven't seen the Christian HBO yet. I'd be interested. So, okay. So it sounds like you're trying to have that conversation, right? You're having tried through this book. Now, what kind of prompted you to write this book? Like what was for you the goal? Right. And then like the audience, who do you think the audience is for, for this book? Great question. The f- to answer your first question, why I write this book, I did not want to write it. it okay. I think it started around March 2020 when the pandemic hit, when coronavirus started. I was really, really discouraged. Ed, for my business, Square Edge, you talk about, I lost like 75% of my clientele. Mm. And it was yeah. really brutal. I was really pissed off. I was really discouraged. Um, mad at God. Mad at a lot of things. And then my mom said to me, um, why don't you write a Christian book since you have all this downtime? Hmm. And I said, the last thing I want to do right now is write a Christian book. The last thing I want to do is hype up God. All right. Um, Hmm. I don't want to be a salesman for God right now because I might say some nasty things about him. And my mom said, no, 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 no. It's not to pump up God. It's not to necessarily be like, she's like, you don't have to do it like Joel Osteen because she loves Joel Osteen, right? And I'll be like, I don't want to do all hunky-dory like him and fake it. It's not not you, right? Right. And my mom's like, no, you're going to do your voice. And then I said, no, like, I just, I'm so discouraged right now from my business to this virus. Like, and then the next day, it was like two days later, um, I'm in a connect group at a church, right? Um, at my friend's yeah. church. And one of my friends in that group, uh, Connie, shout out to Connie. She <laughs> said to me via, I think, Instagram text, like, hey, you should write a Christian devotional book. And I was like, I don't really want to, but you're a second person to say that. Was this written in response to something? Like you shared what your mom said? or you No, just no, it was, um, it was, it I from? think it was about work stuff, squared stuff, uh, writing curriculum. Okay. stuff. And it just somehow okay. led to, hey, you write a Christian book too. And then I still said, no, I was still discouraged. And then a couple days later, I was just kind of praying and I just turned on some worship music. I really like Bethel and I just played Bethel music. And during that worship session, I just got like this whole, I just felt like the Holy Spirit downloaded a lot of content into me. I felt like it's going to be seven day devotional. It's going to be for not the 99. It's going to be for the one. Um, hmm. going to be when Jesus went after that one sheep that got lost, not the 99 that was on the straight and narrow path. Mm. And the title of the book is um, going to be called WTF, Where's the Faith? Quickly got a pen, paper, my notepad or whatever, and I just wrote it down. I, and then I wrote it in about two weeks. So that that's kind of how it started. And then I think I wanted to write it for young people who are either in church and struggling with their faith, but they can't talk about some things or they don't go to church anymore, but they still are seeking and they know that there's something out there and they still want Jesus, but they don't know how. And they don't want to get Jesus through traditional methods, you know, kind of where I'm coming from. Start with my mom, then my friend Connie, and then this is where we're at now. 
Wow, that's awesome. So WTF. Uh, it was either that or it was either going to be WTF, Where's the Faith, or Christian Middle Finger. But, you know, we got to go for a more palatable, wider <laughs> range audience. You got to you gotta warm people up, man. Right, that's, right, right. Because like, <laughs> the Middle Finger is still in there somewhere, right? But it's not on the cover is what I mean. <laughs> yeah, it's not on the cover. We got to warm it up. We got to. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I'm hearing you. It's like a prompting from your mom's super cool you got support from your mom right Right. and and just encouraging you and and that and then you get like a confirmation shout out to connie right is that her name connie shout out to my mom and then you pray and then you receive and then you start writing and then you you you're here for the gen z millennials the youth it's people who are kind of maybe disillusioned have already moved away from the church because of they're sick of maybe some of the things we talked about being like fake or like it doesn't connect. Right. Or people kind of like at the cusps, like maybe thinking about this is not for me. Yeah. It's, it's for the, I love Jesus, but I'm not sure about the church kind of. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to park a little bit, your parents, your mom, she's the pastor. Is that right? Yes. My mom and dad are both pastors. You know, our listeners are probably listening to you be like, I never heard anyone talk about religion like this. You know, it's, it's, it's real. It's your style, but maybe you don't hear that kind of cadence, that kind of language, that kind of communication of religion on the pulpit traditionally, right? Are your parents more of like the traditional or are they kind of, I would say more edgy, like kind of what you're talking about? I think they're more traditional. I think they're more uh, corporate. Okay. They're corporate. Definitely. Yeah. So the, how does that gel with you guys? Like, so it sounds like your mom's super supportive of you. She was like, do your yeah, voice. You know, Even if, you know, how does that work? Right. They're very supportive. They just let me do me. They just let me do my thing. They don't really put a leash on me when it comes to these kind of things. And, uh, and I'm grateful for that. It wasn't always like that. I think that when I was younger, they were probably more strict with how I should sure. be. But now sure, they sure. Just, like do your thing. That's awesome. And this is what came out, right? Right. Exactly. 100%. Okay. All right, man. Let's jump into some of this this content. So I'm just going to like list through and then we'll like pop in and out. Okay. I love how you paint the picture of church is this place where God draws in like the worst mm-hmm. of humans. And then we all like hang out there, which yeah. is probably why a lot of bad stuff goes down. Exactly. And then at the same time, church is like a wonderful place. You'd mentioned that you have a lot of close friends and mentors that came from church. Yes. Right. 100%. And so you're not saying like the church is horrible, but you're also saying the church has got its issues, right? Right. So yeah, tell me more about that. Like, have you kind of waffled in between like church is totally no good or been on the side of church is awesome and don't say anything bad about the church? Yeah. So I think maybe for the first 10 years, it was church is awesome. Like, okay. dare talk bad about church, CNN. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, I'm just like, no, church is awesome. And then I think I went through maybe eight years because I've been part of church for 20 years now. And then the next eight years, it was maybe very up and down, anti, then pro, and then some in the middle. The second 10-year part was a little bit more all over the place. I came to the conclusion after 20 years that it's it's not all bad, and it's not all good, just like life, right? Yeah. I, I'm honest about the good and the bad and the ugly, and I really believe in what I said, which was, you know, in the book, I said, without church, your spiritual and emotional life is going to suffer. Yeah. And then I said, with church your spiritual and emotional life is going to suffer. <laughs> yeah. 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 If I said it's better to suffer with them, with them, without them. Um, I think it's better than not having anything because the isolation is going to kill you. Isolation is going to give you like 
depression. It's going to speed up your dementia. You're going to get dementia at 50, dude, um, mm. without a spiritual community, you know? Um, yeah. And I just, yeah, so I talk about the good and the bad. Just love kind of starting, you know, how you started there because your message is not saying like we should all not go to church. No, right? not at all. Yeah, because some might, you know, might think that's right. what you're saying. But that's I, mean, I bash it a little bit for the first paragraph and maybe two. And then I get into it. Now, this is what you got to do. You got to find one. You got to find a church. And it's not about finding a great church or perfect church. It's about finding the right fit for you. That's more important than anything else. When you find that right fit, man, just embrace their good and ugly. And, you know, just embrace it. It'll be if you don't and you do this Jesus thing in the closet. Uh, like I said, man, you're just... You're asking for a harder life on yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, man. Then the second one, like I have to admit, I had to look up like what what Bay is. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> which which speaks to like the audience, right? right? I think your audience knows what Bay is. I looked it up. It's like urbandictionary.com. Oh yeah, that's okay. where you go, man. That's <laughs> so, so so what is Bay? I mean, Bay can be pretty much like your target. Someone okay. that you like, you crush on, okay. or it could be someone okay. that you're with. And that's such a hot topic at church, right? Right. Not. And um, and I forgot to mention in the first chapter, not to rewind, but every yeah. chapter of the book has a, a Bible remix, something I call Brophesians. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we're talking about girls and boys, they, uh, Brophesians chapter two, verse one, hotness covers a multitude of sins. And you're right. This is a hot, hot button topic in church. So I like your kind of takes on here. Um, <laughs> one of the things you say is like, nothing makes sense. It does kind of like, how did that person end up with that person? What? Or, or like, sometimes it does make sense. Like, of course they go together. Right. 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 I kind of, I think that's just, that's part of like just being real, which is helpful. I right. Think. I think, and I've seen some crazy permutations of couples. Yeah. I'm trying to say crazy. Yeah, yeah. And then your, your whole thing on the mind, mindset child of god that's like pretty deep pretty mature can you explain like what that is how you arrived there you know i arrived there about eight years ago um with my friend paul paul Wu. shout out to paul he was the one who said this to me so i gotta give him some credit for the content he said it to me through a very 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 long text it was like super long text <laughs> him and his uh wife audrey at the time was saying like um you need to have the mindset of a child of god to shoot your shots so you're more bold and confident because right now you're a little shy or timid because you don't know your place in the kingdom of heaven mm. um so and he used a couple examples from pop entertainment he said yeah. remember in lion king when uh, simba was too scared to fight scar and then he sees an image of his dad in the cloud saying hey you're the king of pride land you need to go take your land back you are a king yeah. and when he saw himself as a king he finally had the cojones to go beat up scar but when he saw himself as simba he had no confidence mm. he saw himself as king simba he could do it and so mm. that's where it's coming from it's like if you see yourself as a child of god which means you have a dad who's richard and warren buffett you know right you have right. a god who is more powerful than any energy in the universe you know he created science you have a force of energy that's so powerful that created a universe, the solar system, like that's who you have on your side. And yeah. so you need to posture your mindset under that identity, or you're always going to be too scared to shoot your shot. You're always going to think I'm not tall enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not rich enough. You know, I can't because I'm not a worship leader. I'm not a Jesus superstar, whatever. But when you're yeah. a child of God, you're like, hold my beer, mofo. You know, um, I got this. <laughs> Yeah, to me, like when I was I was reading that, you know, the word that came to me is like identity, security, 
right? right? It's like you're secure about who you are. And I love that it's it's centered on yourself first and, and then like going from there. Yeah, I, I think being a child of God makes you rejection proof, you know, and you, it starts with really seeing how God sees you. Seriously, like like when you're in your quiet time praying, when you close your eyes, how does God see you? Not how you see you, how does God see you? And when you see yourself that way, you'll be like, I got this. I got this. I'm going to shoot my shot and see what happens. When I was reading it, I wrote like abundance mindset. Right. Yes. Right? yes. Just this idea that like we're not, you wrote like the opposite of poverty mindset, right? Opposite Which is, of poverty mindset. The, like, I like how you said it. Uh, abundance mindset is there's always another one around the corner. There's always going to be another girl. There's always going to be another guy. There's always going to be another job opportunity. You know, there's always going to be another seed, another fill in the blanks. Right. And it comes from this. It comes from God. Yeah, understanding that you're God's child. Yeah, right. How how is that for you, man? You know, just trying to give advice to people who are trying to live it out, right? Is it a right. one time thing? Like I'm God's child, and then it's just I'm God's child all the time. No, no, it's gonna be. It's definitely gonna be a process, Ed. Okay. Um, it's gonna be a lot of trial and error. It's gonna be through a lot of processing with God and journeying with God. I don't think you get to this mindset of being a powerful child of God overnight. It takes probably years. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's good because it's a reminder to everyone out there to be kind to themselves, to be gracious to themselves, to be patient with themselves, you know? Yeah. So so it's not meant to be like you read this and you're like, man, I'm so far away from being a child of God. No, it's meant to be you read it and you just maybe take one sentence out of the entire chapter and you apply it to your life. Because mm. I don't think it's realistic to apply every piece of content, you know? Yeah. Good stuff, man. All right, let's jump good. to friends. Let's do it. Ephesians 3.1, I will quote it. <laughs> <laughs> Let us open. Ephesians 3.1, thou shall find, ride or die, homies. That's right. That's right. Fellowship. How about fellowship? <laughs> so, so it sounds like friendship has been pretty big for you in church. Like just reading it, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. That. This is where I got to give credit um, to church and some blame. Uh, I don't know how it is for others, but I think from just speaking for myself, I did not come from a close-knit family. Mm. Um, I didn't come from a family where we talk about our feelings or we pray for each other or we like spend time with each other. You know, um, my extended family never saw me. Uh, we saw, I saw them maybe twice a year. So I didn't have a lot of family presence in my life. So this is where church friends was very important. This is where without church friends, I think, it probably would be a lot tougher life for me to stay on the straight and narrow and stay out of trouble. Yeah. Um, it was good for my upbringing. It was good for my childhood, but it wasn't always, it's not all good after that. So yeah. Right. It sounds like you've had some negative experiences as well. Right. Right. So this is my problem growing up. This is my, my rookie yeah. mistake because I didn't grow up that close knit family. I was like, this church is going to be my family. Mm. I'm going to treat everybody like a brother and sister, auntie and aunt, mother and father. I'm going to treat them with love, kindness, and respect. And I had that expectation that it would be returned, you know. And yeah. I realized that that's not the case, that people are going to betray you. People are going to wrong you. People are going to judge you. People are going to, like, um, make snide remarks. So I realized that you can't treat everybody in church like family. Some you have to treat like family. Some you have to treat like friends. Don't do what I did. It was a big mistake, which was to have this expectation that everybody's my family. Everybody loves me. Everyone's looking out for me. That's not the case. Like I'm listening to you and then I'm playing back uh, things that I've heard pastors say. And I think even things that I've said, you know, like I've, I've had the opportunity to, you know, speak at church and kind of and lead some things. 
a church hen. It doesn't sound good to say that, you know, <laughs> there's going to be some people you connect with, some people you got to watch out for, man. That's not the welcome message from the pastor. Have, right. have you heard a message like that? No, right? No, no. no they, I was taught what I was taught. I was taught what I just, yeah. what I shared about the mistake, which was the church is the bride of Christ. We are God's spiritual family. We are to love our brothers and sisters like ourselves. And I did all that. And you, you know what happens? You get your, you get your butt kicked, you get your bruises, you get your licks. And, yeah. and I never learned about what they call boundaries. I never learned about that until I was like 29, 30. I wish they taught, taught it to me at 16. You know, <sighs> um, what you said about like, hey, you know, pastors aren't going to say that. But the thing is like, you got to have boundaries, man, or you're just going to get beat up all the time. I think boundaries, I started hearing it a little bit at church, yeah. I think yeah. maybe because of the, the whole, like like you were saying earlier, right? Pop culture, talking more about some of these things. Yeah, it's like a buzzword in pop culture now, boundaries. Yeah, I think there is a there is a concept, a philosophy in Christianity, which I, I agree with, which is like this hospitality, openness, yeah. love, right? Which maybe is antithetical to boundaries in some sense, mm -hmm. right? Not necessarily, but in some sense, right? So then maybe we just we just kind of focus on one and then it sounds really good. But then obviously bad stuff happens at church. Toxic mm -hmm. things happen at church. Like right. I've been witness Absolutely. to these Because you were an elder, right? So you know what I'm talking about. Right. There's some stuff that, that happens and like we don't want to really talk about it all the time. Though. Right. So like when I talk about boundaries, you know, I'm also talking about like checks and balances. For example, like if you're best friends with somebody, let's say, Ed, you're best friends with someone named Bob. That's cool. Yeah. Right. But it probably wouldn't be a good idea for you to join Bob's life group. Because if Bob's going to be your leader and your best friend at the same time, he's wearing too many hats with you. You, know, you want to simplify your friendship or it's going to get a little messy and complicated. Sure. Or like, for example, like I was at a church where every freaking ministry was ran by nepotism. It was like the Joneses takes care of the youth ministry. The the Johnsons take care of the high school ministry. It was like, and then the husband and wife would serve together. And I thought that was a mistake. Hmm. Um, I thought it led to no checks and balances. I thought that you, it was easier to get away with things. There was nepotism. That's what I mean by boundaries. And then what happens is stuff happens. And so you see the ugly side of humanity at church, how people behave when they're put in a compromised position. And so that's why I talk about be careful really who you pick your friends at church. You know how they say like, um, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. It's kind of like that concept. And yeah. I would always say if the person is 51% negative all the time and 49% positive all the time, they are still a negative person. Mm. You want to stay away from toxic, negative people. Those people need to be ministered to, loved on through curated, specialized ministry, but they're not to be homies with. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, yeah. You know, I think it's 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 helpful, yeah, to to hear someone talk about these things in terms of like, yeah, just be discerning, right? right. That's maybe one way to say it. Like, I mean, we are trying to do good things, right? Yeah. We're trying to. Uh, grow closer to God as a community and right. as individuals the stuff happens and like we need to be discerning about you know who we hang out with you know how we're doing things right but again what pastor likes to say there are some minds here at my church right yeah you have to be careful of that's a right? good way of putting it there are minds at your church you gotta be you gotta be careful um you really do gotta be careful i always i said the last part of the book i said 33 percent of the people on this planet are good people 33 percent of the people on this planet are bad people 
33% of the people on this planet are okay people. You got to sift through who's the good, who's the bad, who's okay. We have all, because we're all sinners, right? We're all sinners saved by Jesus. We all have shades of all three. There's good in me, there's bad in me, there's evil in me, there's okay in me. But it's like how much of each shade is there? And that's where you have to use discernment, you know, be pure as dubs, but wise as serpents, and discern who's good for you, who's bad for you. Right, right. Okay, so what we're going to do now yeah. is like talk about the core thing of Christianity. I okay. love this chapter, forgiveness. Okay. Right. It's the gospel. It's what Jesus is about and how we respond to that, right? Right. So unforgiveness, tell me about your your journey in that and kind of like what your how you came up with uh, you know what you wrote down. Right. Um unforgiveness is probably the thorn in my flesh on my side for a good chunk of my life. You know, I would say it robbed me a lot of joy and happiness in my 20s. Yeah. And I probably didn't really get a handle on it until the last five, six, seven years of my life. It really was a process for me to understand the basic 101s of my faith, Christianity. Um, Throughout my entire life, I heard Jesus forgave you, so you should forgive, blah, 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 blah. And I thought it was it sounded stupid, unrealistic, and overly flowery. The truth of the matter is, mm. yes, Jesus died and forgave. But when they say it the way they say it, they make it sound like what happened wasn't that big of a deal. Hmm. And in B, they make it sound like they're using the gospel as a weapon to hit me over the head. I didn't like that. Hmm. And so I did a little bit of research, and I met some great Christian mentors, and they walked me through this process, and it was really, really good for me. And I'm still walking through it today, but it's gotten a lot better. Um, It comes down to this. I wanted to explore that human emotion um, of anger from somebody doing something wrong to you. Because if you look at the Bible, or not even the Bible, if you just look at human history from the old wild, wild west to... Um, the dynasty eras or the conqueror eras, whatever, or the Bible periods. It's a human reaction that when you do something wrong to me, I'm going to kill you. Okay. Yeah. The re- the revenge. That is a normal human reaction. You do something wrong to me. We're not going to talk it out. We're not going to go to court. There's no judge, jury, executioner. I'm going to pull out my gun. I'm going to shoot you like the wild, wild west. That's how it goes down. I would say all the way until the last hundred years. Okay. Mm. It's a human reaction. It's normal. It's sin. It's in our flesh. It's in our DNA. A lot of the Bible characters we look up to, they did it. Like Paul, like David, mm-hmm. uh, like Moses. He killed that Egyptian out of anger. Our Bible characters we look up to committed the sins that we want to do today. And so I was so hurt and angry by some of the sins committed against me. I didn't know what to do with myself. Okay. And yeah. I am so grateful that there are great Christian mentors, brothers and sisters who walked me through this process and taught me how to go about it. Because I realize forgiveness is not a video game. There's no difficulty mode. There's no easy mode. You know, it's always yeah. hard mode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you had that feeling, that revenge feeling like you you were in that and they were able to walk you through that, huh? Walk me through it. Right. And so I just write in the chapter what worked for me, you know, what helped me. And the first thing I realized was I, there's no profusions in this chapter. This is the only chapter where there's not a lot of, there's no humor. There's no tongue in cheek humor. It was, it was interesting. You're like, I'm I'm quoting first John chapter two. (laughs) That's not Brophesians. And it's pretty much the verse to summarize it. It says, you know, it says, if anyone claims to be in light and hates his brother, he's still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother remains in the light and there's no cause of stumbling him. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and he doesn't know where he's going. His eyes are blinded. So that verse is scary because you know what it's saying? If you break it down, it's saying that God 
will ignore you for a period of your life. If you give in to resentment, God will separate himself from you. I'm not talking about salvation. He'll take away your salvation. I don't mean that. I mean, he will yeah. remove his presence from you for yeah. a long period of time. If you give in to resentment, because he cannot be in that, in that same energy space. It says straight up in first John, he allows torment on his beloved. If you stay hating your brother. And that's where I was for many years. People that wronged me at church and so forth. So people walked me through it and I, I talk about it in the book and I'll just go over some of the yeah. What helped me was it starts with vertical praise, vertical adoration. It starts with worshiping God. Because I learned from um, a Christian pastor, shout out to Peter. He taught yeah. me God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He can be anywhere, anytime. He can read your thoughts, right? The yeah. devil, Satan, is not like that. He cannot be everywhere at all times. So he takes the third of the kingdom of heaven and turn them into minions, turn them into demons, and they work for him, right? And so what's going on is when you're worshiping God from your mouth, turning on that worship music, praying through your mouth, you are creating a room space where the enemy cannot be and coexist with you at the same time. And then as you're in this quiet space and you're just praising God, thanking him for air, breath, water, sight, smell, your salvation, etc. You create an environment, you cultivate a kingdom environment to where the enemy loses his power. Because it says, you know, resist the devil and he shall flee. So the first thing I did for myself, for what they taught me was, Eric, worship God, even though you don't feel like it, even though you're pissed off, worship yeah. God. Turn on that Bethel music, that Hillsong music, and just worship God. Just, just, sh- just tell your spirit to shut up and just receive God's love for you. And the second thing, this is mm. where I had to learn for myself because I thought the church was really bad and was... um. They don't let you process, man. Church <laughs> yeah. doesn't want you to feel mad. They just want you to go from A to Z. Like, okay, she did that. Forgive right now. Forgive right now because you just forgive you. You know? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, and then I like, I like how Stephen Furtick said it. He said, you cannot heal until you first feel. You got to feel before you heal, bro. And so that means telling God how pissed off you are. It means telling God how angry you are at that person in detail. They did this, 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 and that. And it made me feel like that. Like, that's what you want to bring to God, that honesty, because until you can get to feeling, then you can start healing. But when I want to say, when you're bringing these emotions to God, don't accuse God. Don't be accusatory. Don't say, um, you're not a faithful God. You're an evil God. You're a bad God. Don't say that. But you can say this instead. You can say, it felt like when this happened, you weren't there for me. Or when you allowed that person to do that, it made me harder to trust you, God. Like, be like that. You know, God can... But what happens when you accuse him and doubt him is that you invite the enemy to attack you more because he smells blood in the water like a shark. Um, I learned that doubt attracts attack from the enemy. So we want to stay away from that. And so first thing is vertical praise, worship God. Second thing is really, really allow yourself to feel it out and process with God. Tell him how how mad you are or how hurt you are. And and, um, the third thing uh, that really helped me was renouncing resentment and praying for forgiveness. Now, if you wait for yourself to feel like forgiving and then praying that, it's not going to happen. It's not like I feel like it, then I'll do it. It's no, I pray forgiveness. I'm going to give forgiveness a head start. You want to pray verbally, renouncing resentment, renouncing the evil thoughts you had and praying verbally forgiveness over that brother or sister, even if you don't feel like it. And I promise you what's going to happen, homie, is that your emotions will finally catch up to it. 
You're going to take two steps back and once st- oh, you're going to take two steps forward, excuse me, and one step back. You're going to forgive, forgive. And one day you're like, why am I still mad? And you're going to do it again. You're going to get back to Jesus. You're going to worship him. You're going to tell him, I'm still a little hurt. I'm still a little struggling. And I, but I'm going to keep forgiving. And he's going to keep helping you. He's going to keep helping you, helping you. And you're going to get better and better with it. Because you know how Jesus says 70 times 7, right? Forgive 70 times 7. Right. I used to think it was 490 different sins. But I'm starting to think it was the same sin you got to re-forgive 490 times. Right. Because it's not like a one, one-time deal. No, it's not a one-shot deal. Right. And then the last step is the craziest step. Yeah. This step helped me a lot. It's blessing the wrongdoer with prayer, praying blessing over them, you know. And I and I and I and I said to I said to this guy um, who taught me this. I said, "Wait, I was like, Art, how come we have to bless the wrongdoer?" He said, "It's kind of a military tactic." He's like, "The enemy, the devil uses it, uses resentment through like a memory flare up to kind of nudge you. You know, he keeps nudging you, like, hey, remember when he did this? Hey, Ed, yeah. remember when that person did this? He'll keep yeah. nudging you." But how about we nudge the devil back? Yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember when we did that. And I want to bless him right now and say, God bless him. God bless his career, his family, his health. I want to bless him. So, and then devil's yeah. like, no, 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 you're not supposed to bless. You're supposed to curse him. I'm like, no, I'm going to bless him. And then let's say a week goes by and the devil comes back when you're washing your dishes. He's like, hey, remember when so-and-so did this? Yeah, yeah, I remember. And I'm still going to say, God bless him. I want him to do well. I want him. I want her to be happy. I bless him in the name of Jesus. And it's like, the devil's going to be like, okay, this is not working. And what's going to happen is you're going to cultivate this kingdom environment in your heart where it's like, dude, I love my enemies. I love people who wrong me. I'm going to wish you goodwill. I'm going to pray that your career works. I'm going to pray your health is awesome. I'm going to pray your marriage is awesome. And I'm going to trust the God of the universe who knows what he's doing, that he's going to do justice. Yeah. Um, so that's what worked for me and what I had to go through. And it was a, it was a brutal process, dude, to be honest. As you're listing these out, yeah. I, I, I'm i picturing, yeah, like you started with, you know, the verse of... Uh, yeah, you should forgive as Jesus forgave you. So let's move on, guys. You know? <laughs> That's how church right? taught me. That's how church taught me. And then <laughs> if, uh, if you haven't forgiven, uh, you don't talk about it because you should have forgiven already. You know, Or if you do talk about it, they'll be like, what the heck's your problem? Like, are you, you think you're so perfect? Like, do you not know what Jesus did for you? Right. And right. They, start beating, they start beating you up with the gospel. Yeah, and it's 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 interesting, yeah. you know, because it's not like you're saying you disagree with that. I'm yeah. not saying I disagree with that, but there's a process. Right, right. I, I really like the point you're making of of you know asking for forgiveness multiple times for that same issue, right? And it, it, it really depends on the sin, the offense. Like, sure, sure. Like if you cut me off on the freeway, bro, I really hope it only takes you like ten seconds to forgive and let go. <laughs> not that should not take you a month. You know, sure, sure. Uh, but if like somebody, like let's say you know, you know, somebody cheats on their wife, or somebody you know does something crazy and gnarly, like okay, that's probably going to have to be a process of months to years. You know, right, right. And it would be totally insensitive to tell that person, like, hey, Jesus forgave you. Yeah, don't don't do what Sovereign Grace Church did. This girl got sexually assaulted, and I think Sovereign Grace Church and um, I think CJ Mahaney Church they were like, "Hey, God forgave, so you got to forgive." And God, they did a Romans eight twenty eight thing where it's like God uses those to for the good for those who trust in Him. Um, and I was just like shaking my head, face palm. I was like, have some empathy for the girl. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's sometimes the the, the Disney approach, right? right? right. Like, kind of like the Disney approach doesn't work there. Exactly. I think that's a good point you brought up. The Disney approach is Jesus forgave, so let's all hold hands and move on. And then we don't want to go through that step two you're saying about feeling. Um, you got to feel before you can heal. Yeah, I like that. 
Oh, so Eric, this is some yeah. really good stuff in here. There's meat in here, right? So, you know, as we're running out of time, but I still got these three sections. So I'm going to make it a free for all here. All right. All right. There's three more sections. Uh, you talk about the L's like failure and suffering. You talk yep. about money. You talk about prayer. Um, if you have a chance to speak into one of those, which one would you would you want to speak on? Let's see. Uh, which one are you leaning towards? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so I'll say this. I, I read this line and then I was like, dude, I got to read this to Vicky like right now. This is on the failures one. Okay. Right. Okay. Uh, sometimes delayed answered prayers is just compounding interest in God's economy and sovereignty. Yeah. Okay. So I'll tell you why I thought that was great. For one, it's beautifully worded. Awesome job. I'm like copywriter right there. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. And also, like I'm going through stuff right now with trying to build a kingdom company and doing things yeah. in, in a way that I feel is, is in faith. And then I feel like prayers are either delayed or not happening or and you're kind of in that tough spot. Are you experiencing that now? Like, how did you come to that? Right. I think I do believe sometimes God's delayed answer prayers is kind of like a 401k. It's just compounding interest and you might not get the blessing until you're like 40 or 50 or 60. You know, I think I got that from Joseph's story and um, uh, Genesis where this is a guy who lived righteously. I think he lived probably one of the most righteous lives in the entire Bible. Like I would say more than David, more than the other famous characters. I would say in terms of Mount Rushmore of Bible characters, he's got to be up there, right? Yeah. No, yeah. No No murders, no affairs. Um, no sexual addiction like the other guys. Joseph was freaking boss, a great guy. He lived righteously and he did good after good after good after good. He was faithful with everything and he kept having setback after setback after setback. This is a guy who aces every test, who works hard and just can't catch a break. And somebody once said to me, Pastor James Shin, shout out to James. He said to me, had Joseph gotten what he wanted, we would have never heard about him today. Uh, hmm. What he meant by that was when he was in prison, Joseph was in prison. Um, he told the uh, cupbearer, hey, don't forget to tell them to let me out of jail. And then that cupbearer forgets to tell the king, hey, let that Joseph guy out of jail. He forgets. Had Joseph gotten what he wanted, which is get out of jail at that exact time, they would have released him back into Egypt. And you know, back then they didn't have like a census. So they didn't have like an address in the registry or anything like that. So <laughs> yeah. we never would have known what happened to Joseph. There's there's gonna be no records of him, you know. But because yeah. he suffered a little bit longer, you know, he got a much bigger blessing. Mm. He probably had to stay in prison probably another two or three years. That's probably my guess when you look at the text, probably another two to three years. And he got a much bigger blessing, which is the second command of Egypt, right? He probably got to pick out any honey that he wanted, right? It's like, like a <laughs> yeah, he became the top guy, man. Yeah, and he was a good looking dude, so he probably picked out like a Victoria's Secret kind of <laughs> Egypt or it something. Does, the Bible does say he was good looking. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. He, um, and then and he was like one of the rare kings or uh, what do you call it, like uh, commanders who didn't have 50,000 wives. You know, he I think he only had one wife, which is kind of mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, I could be wrong on that, but that's kind of where it came from, where it was like delayed answer prayers are compounded in interest. And I think that this generation, Generation Z and Millennial, dude, like, I don't think we know how to handle L's. 
I don't think we know how to handle L's. I say in Brophesians chapter four, verse one, if you turn to your text, it says, thou must go through age appropriate suffering. Like God's going to put you through age appropriate suffering. You know, it sucks. Cause like, I don't feel like young people know how to process losing and suffering. I think they are trapped in OCD, obsessive comparison disorder. They look to their hmm. right. They look to their left. Oh, that guy just made a big with Bitcoin. Oh, that guy just made a big with cannabis. That guy just made a big with uh, VR, you know? And it's just like, you look to your right and your left and you see how much further someone is along your 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 path. They're making more money than you. They're, they're already getting married, having kids. They got into Harvard, Yale. And you look at where you're at, you're like, and I keep getting fired, laid off. I get C's instead of A's on my tests. And they don't know how to process that. And what it is, I just want to say to every homie young blood out there is, whatever you're going through, I would say it's probably a micro, 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 micro setback. Hmm. That's it, you know, and they got to learn how to um, contextualize losses. Because I think in the book, I, you know, I said life is like the UFC. Everybody yeah. at least once. And so I do believe, Ed, that you got to get to a lot. You got to go through a lot of L's before you get to your W. Yeah. So when you say an L, you're saying, yeah, losses, losses. right? Yeah. You got to take your L's before you get to your W. But the thing is, that's hard for a millennial or Gen Z. You know why? Because yeah, they look yeah. at they look at Charlie on TikTok and they're like, no, Charlie hit it big overnight. I know, right? But they're looking at the 1% of the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. What about the 99% you're doing better off than? You don't focus on them, you know? Well, yeah. well I think, you know, and just to to add to that, man, you know, you, you mentioned uh, this concept that God can show up really quickly and turn things around right like in a crazy way right mm -hmm. but you also talk about timing that right. he he comes in that last like a lot of times that last centimeter of like a oh race right so it's not that he can't change things miraculously right but it's, it's 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 sometimes a timing thing god is the guy who shows up to the party late with the kegs you know, yeah. <laughs> God shows up late to the party. Um, when, it's like when, when, when there's no, hey, like Jesus and the wine, right? It's like yeah, when there's yeah, like yeah, no yeah, more. He does right thing. Yeah. Um, Jesus is a fourth quarter clutch money kind of guy. All right. Yeah. He waits when there's 1% left in your journey and then he shows up. You know, it's kind of like that Netflix movie that you watch and you toggle to see where you're at in the movie or the TV show. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like our spiritual journeys like that with whatever you're going through. It's like, just watch a Netflix show, go on a toggle and, and just, just kind of wait till the end. Uh, and then when you get to the end of toggle, that's when God shows up, you know, right before the credits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, as you're talking about it, you know, with, you know, the younger generation and us older people too, right. Is yeah. we still have that thing of like, we want it to happen, that impatience, right. We want yeah. it to happen. We do compare yeah, in a sense, it's even harder. It gets harder and harder each generation, I think, because the the our culture just moves faster. Right, faster. right. You know, we, you've mentioned it a few times, but I, I feel like the biggest thing here, the biggest contributor to this feeling is this like jealousy comparison. You call it o OCD, is that right? Yeah, obsessive comparison disorder. Um, yeah, right. Like yeah, that's. Yeah. Would you say that's the biggest thing causing this kind of these negative feelings and and why? I would say the the number one leading cause of depression and anxiety with Gen Z and millennials is OCD. It's I turn on my gram, my TikTok, I see that somebody just started an account and they got five hundred million gajillion followers. Why do I only have five hundred? Or hey, my friend just 
bought his third property investment. He's only 30. How come I'm 30 and I haven't gotten one home? You know, something like crazy like that. Or they got into Harvard. I have to go to Dartmouth instead. And it's just, just do your journey, focus on your journey, get tunnel vision, go into a cave and just ignore everybody. You know, be like a, be like a butterfly, be in a freaking cocoon, like just sharpen your knife, get in that cocoon and don't worry about what's going outside of that cocoon. Yeah. yeah. It's like to put those blinders on and like the, the thing that I've, this kind of mantra that I've had throughout, you know, my spiritual journey has been this, you know, the audience of one, right. The audience of, of God, right. Right. That, Cause when we compare, we start looking at those insecurities and those things. And I think it even relates to your earlier point about the child of God mindset, mm-hmm. right. Where that's where we get our security. I love it. And uh, I think, again, you wrote that thing beautifully. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, (laughs) All right, man. Well, thank you for spending this time with me. You Um, got it, bro. So yeah, if people want to like contact you or or, like read your book, like how do they find you? Yeah, so um, I'll say it verbally and then you can see Ed post it on his social. Um, So you can email me directly at efan27 at gmail.com and I'll send you a free digital copy. Uh, my email is efan27 at gmail.com. That's E as in Eric, F as in Frankie, A as in Apple, N as in Nevada, 27, the number 27 at gmail.com. Uh, and I'll just send you a free digital copy or you can go to the the website. It's, um, it's a little lengthier and I think Ed can just post it. It's squareedgeglobal.com slash WTF. And um, you can just fill out your contact info and I'll just send it to you there. Um, So this is a free resource for anybody that just wants to um, improve their spiritual life with Jesus. Awesome, man. My last question was like, yeah, what's your dream? What's your goal for the book? If I can just help someone, one make them 10% happier, I think that would make me really happy. I just, I want to be part of the solution to our mental health crisis. And so any contribution I can make would make me really happy. I'm just tired of seeing a 15 year old kill himself, you know? Yeah. And so that's that. And, you know, I hope to, yeah, just get out there and see who it can, who it can help. It's a great goal, man. So thank you guys. And as Eric said, yeah, let's help get the word out. It's like, uh, I'm thinking of this, some of the epistles and saying, uh, you know, the author's right, make my joy complete, you know, yeah. like make Eric's joy complete, man, by, by checking this out and sharing it with people that you think who would help. Facts. All right, brother. Thank you for your time. Thank you for everything, my brother. You're welcome. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome.